If you'll turn in your Bible with me again to 1 Peter, we're going to be looking in, we're going to be looking in chapter 2 as we start. Um, I love the Bible. The Bible is our rule for life. It's, it's the line. It's what we follow. Um, not a lot of people love the Bible these days. They don't, they don't want to know much about what it says. Most people don't know what it says. We're living in a different time where people used to have a little bit of knowledge of biblical things and now kind of don't know. But the Bible itself speaks life to us because it's the Word of God. I enjoy going to our science center downtown. Have you been there lately? I haven't. I don't even know if it's open right now with COVID stuff. One of my kids and everybody's favorite thing, really, is on the big bridge as you get to the actual science center side, not the planetarium side, there's that model of the arch. You know what I'm talking about? And it's got those fuzzy blocks, or not fuzzy, but like foam kind of blocks. And then it, everybody's always, there's a line always waiting to try to do it. And so it's all exciting to do. Um, what's the secret? Have you done it before? What's the secret? How do you do it? You got to work from both sides. You got to work from both sides. I can see David's like the middle, the middle. Yeah, you got to get the middle just right. And you got to lean the two into it so that the arch stays. Did you know that the actual arch is as tall as it is wide? Yeah, 630. 630 feet, you know. Man, see, she's a teacher, she knows. But 630 feet tall, 630 feet wide. Because the arch to stand has to have the right dimensions. Did you notice at the Science Center when you make the arch, they don't let you guess where the foundation is? There are blocks in place that you have to build off of to make the arch. They give you all the pieces except the foundation. Because if you mess that up, you're never going to make it stand. And so Christianity is like that. God gives us the word, the rule of life, the Bible. It's our foundation. It's what we rest against. It's, it's our lives are built on the word of God. But if our foundation is off, if we try to say, this is where I want to put the foundation marker, it's never going to stand whatever we try to build. This is why Jesus said, you can't build on sand. The storm comes and the whole thing goes away. You've got to build on the rock. The rock is the word of God. It's him. It's his own character because he's the word become flesh. This is really important because as we're putting this together and we're holding things, holding to the truth, holding to what it means to be the church, building our lives on the word of God, if we start in the wrong place or we try to define it, it will never work. We have to trust the Lord, that he speaks to us, that his word is true and his word is right. As we come this morning to 1 Peter, last week we started a little series that we're looking on in this book. And we're looking at the, the letter that Peter wrote. He writes it to those Christians who are in Asia Minor, basically modern-day Turkey. They're in the Roman Empire. Uh, they speak Greek altogether. He's written this letter. It's really a, a fabulous letter that he's written. And if, in fact, some scholars are even stunned because how could this fisherman from Galilee write such a beautiful letter? And the, the way he uses language and the way he uses Greek, it's really high. He does an excellent job. But he worked hard. And he loved God, and he had the Holy Spirit inspiring him. So it's a beautiful letter. And in this letter, he's writing to encourage the Christians who are going through a lot of persecution. They're being uh, sometimes beaten. They are being uh, maligned and slandered. Things even like the communion table, because Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me, had been misconstrued in the Roman Empire so that people thought that Christians were cannibals and would have cannibalistic ceremonies where they would eat somebody because of communion. 
And this became widespread rumors that were going around. So there were physical things happening to Christians, but also just being maligned by rumors. And um, you know, could you imagine if you walk into work and people have been talking about you being a cannibal? And all of a sudden they're like walking away from you and you're like, hey, what's wrong? Did I, did I spill something on me? You know? And they're like, oh, did you eat somebody this weekend? Just weird. <laughs> but it's, it's changing their lives. And because of Christ, they're suffering for it. It's hard to get that promotion at work when they think you're eating people on the weekend. <laughs> we joke, but it's true. And so Peter is encouraging them to stay in the faith, to remember Jesus, to have their foundation right as they build upon him. And not only to have their foundation right, but he's also giving them the truth of the gospel and what Jesus has done and who he is so that they are building their lives up upon him. Turn with me in 1 Peter to chapter 2. He says this in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 2. As you come to him, this is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. So what's, what's the goal? The foundation is Christ himself. And the people even being maligned in the streets and rumors about them and, and suffering for the gospel's sake, the Lord is building them like living stones upon Christ into a holy temple where God dwells. Last week we talked about how it's God's desire to dwell with men. And the gospel is about this story of the holy God who's created the earth. And then his creation rebels against him. And then he has this drama unfold of this love story of how he will redeem them and again walk with them and be with them. Better than that, he will fill them with his own spirit so they are his temple. It's you. Living stones built upon the cornerstone of Christ to make a spiritual house. God is a builder and he's building you up, not just to encourage you so you can get through the day or to make you feel good, but into a place where he dwells. Last week we talked about this is why Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians that the gifts are amongst us and, and the, the body is flourishing together so that when visitors come and they see all these things, they don't say, oh, wow, what a cool group. They say, surely God is here. Because when we come together, there's something special about singing and being in his presence and exhorting each other and having words of knowledge and all these things that God gives us. Seeing somebody healed is not just exciting. It demonstrates God's presence with his people. It's a good thing, isn't it? But that happens because God is building us up to be a spiritual house that he indwells. Modern Christianity in the United States is too individualistic. It's me and Jesus. And I've got my Jesus, and I go, and I've got to find my ministry, and I'm going to do my thing, and it's just me, and this is what I do. And the problem is that God is dwelling a people who work together who are knit together into one spiritual house together. I think that someday, as we all build upon the foundation of Christ, it will be like congregations in the Science Center, the Lord himself putting that arch piece in together, that some they're, they're linked across the whole world. And we see all these different groups and people, and instead of saying, Paul said it this way, he said, don't say I'm with Paul or I'm with so-and-so. Instead, it's just the Lord's church growing. Now, there's local elements of that that are important. 
Because in that local element, we represent Christ, but we grow together until the Lord joins us. And we either tend toward, I do it all myself and I'm just an individual, or it doesn't matter because it's all so universal that it does, it's all out there, it's fine. And the reality is God is actually building something. And it matters. That's good news, though. Did you know that God actually directs our steps? He actually directs our steps. Where we live, who our friends are, who we interact with, who our neighbors are. God actually has his hand of providence in all those things because he wants you to bloom where you are planted. And that's a good calling. You know, we've had um, a lot of plants in my house, and I'm not great at watering the plants or keeping them alive. You know, it's not, I'm not that good at it because I don't take enough attention. And there was one plant in our old house before we moved, and it was this hydrangea plant. And there was also a, a, um, another plant that was in front of it. And so I had planted it actually in the ground outside our house. And all the other plants were struggling and not doing so great. But these plants were right by one of the gutters. So all the water came. And man, the hydrangeas, they just soak up that water, don't they? And so I'd come home, and I'd see this thing blooming. And it looked so beautiful, and it was good. And I was like, yes! And then I'd see everything else that had no water. I was like, oh, I did a terrible job. But boy, that, that, those plants, they planted. They grew. Their roots were deep. It's good to know that God is a better gardener than me. Where he plants us, he waters. He doesn't forget. And he plants us in the right garden that we together are more beautiful than just one blooming hydrangea and a bunch of dead stuff. It's so much better because he's building us into one spiritual house that represents him. He's the cornerstone. This is really different than what we hear most of the time. And the reason I'm sort of laboring it right now is because if we don't understand that God is building, that he's doing something, then we're going to miss what God's about in the whole earth. Because not, God is not just about blessing us. He does bless us, but he's also writing through Peter to a group who are literally going through suffering and persecution. And somehow we feel like sometimes we're exempted from it because we live in a different time. But the reality is God was growing them and watering them and using them and building them up. And we are now also standing upon that same foundation because God is building his testimony in the earth. And he's using us to bring salvation and discipleship everywhere. What a great calling. What a great mission that we have. We get to represent God. Wow, it's good. It's good news. But how do we do that? Because that's a big task. Represent God? Man, I can hardly, I can hardly you know, pay my tax bill on time. I, I always forget about that HOA fee. How am I going to represent God if I don't pay my HOA fee on time? You know, our minds start to wander about all these different things. How do we actually do that? And 1 Peter is such a beautiful letter because he's giving the people this understanding of what God is doing in the world and the foundation of the gospel, but he's also explaining to them what they should do and how God is building them. And at the very end of the book, turn with me to 5, chapter 5, he says this in 5, starting at verse 10. 1 Peter 5, starting at verse 10. He's talking about going through suffering and humbling ourselves and resisting the devil. And then he says this, 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, 
who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Lord himself is the one who restores us, confirms us, strengthens us, and establishes us. You know, Peter, he's kind of just a country guy in some ways. He worked in the fishing you know, arena. He knew about mending nets. I can't help with, as I read this book, not thinking that because he's using the motif of building the temple. These are all construction words. You notice that? Think about any project you go into. When you look at something and you're going to uh, check it out and you need to restore it. If something is broken, say there's a beam in your house that's broken. I recently had a, uh, one of our exhaust fans that's in the bathroom. It was very important. And so that fan started making these crazy noises and it was, I, who knows how old it is. So the house is 52 years old. I think it was, can't be that old because there's you know, plastic on it and stuff, but I have no idea. And so it was making some crazy noises. So I, I went to uh, open it up. So I was thinking, I would, man, I'm going to replace this and put in a new fan and it'll be working great and it'll be quiet. This will be excellent. And I opened it up and I found it so full of all this dust and dirt and gross stuff that it couldn't function. It sounded horrible, but the reality was it was just so dirty and neglected that it wasn't able to do what it was supposed to do. And so instead of just putting a new thing in, I went to work restoring it and finding the pieces that were broken and fixing them and, and putting new oil in there and greasing it and cleaning it, took it completely apart so I could make it work right. And then praise the Lord, it's working and it's good and it sounds right and it's doing its function. It's exciting. When we restore things, God takes pieces that are messed up and fixes them. And so Peter's using this kind of this word about restoration and these things like confirming and establishing that are construction things. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because God's purpose is building. He's building the church. And pieces, you know that old saying that your chain is only as strong as the weakest link. Praise God that we know the master of the universe who strengthens every link to look like, are you ready for this? The son, Jesus Christ himself. So your destiny is not to be the weakest link. Your destiny is not to be joined to the weakest link. Your destiny is to be strengthened along with everyone else to be conformed to the image of Christ himself. That you would be filled with power and wisdom to do everything he's commanded you. That you would flourish and bloom where you are planted. And he's feeding us with streams of living water from his throne. That's the word of God and his spirit. How good is that? Praise the Lord. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be restored. What does it mean to be restored? I was in uh, England several years ago, and a long time ago now, actually, because I have no concept of time, but it was a long time ago. And uh, while I was there, I met up with a good friend, and we were going around doing different things, and he said, hey, I have to go to work. Do you want to come with me? I said, sure, and it was late at night. So it was really weird. And so he goes, I got to go check on this property, and he worked in construction. And so he went to this old cottage. It was 200 years old. And he said, uh, <clears throat> he said, we're fixing some things on it, and there's a few things broken. He said, I need to check the roof. Do you want to come with me? And so I went up this little narrow, I barely fit, and I was fitter then. Barely fit up this little funny staircase up to the top. And he started poking at the roof, because it was an old thatch roof. Do you know those thatch roofs last 50 years? 
a thatch roof, if you maintain it right, it will last 50 years. And so this house, in its 200 years, it needs a new thatch roof. And so I'm looking at this project that he has of all the stuff everywhere. And he's like, yeah, the crew's coming tomorrow. Stuff everywhere. And he's like, yeah, the crew's coming tomorrow. We're going to rip this whole roof piece off and then rethatch it. It'll take a whole day, but it's going to last decades. I thought, man, that's incredible. That's an incredible thing. God is about restoring us. Christianity is not like thatch. The thatch lasts 50 years and it goes away. Restoration is something that God does to us that's foundational in our lives. Have you ever seen a house with a broken foundation? You cannot fix it with a thatch roof. <laughs> cannot. You can paint it. You can try to make it look beautiful. You can do all these things. But if the foundation is bad, it certainly won't last 200 years. And whatever roof you put on it is probably going to fall over. Christianity is not about the thatch of how beautiful things look. Restoration in Christianity is about the foundation. Because the reality of life is that our foundations were broken before Christ. We were all living in death and sin, away from God, apart from Him, as enemies of God. And the Lord in His restoration sent His Son, who died for us and paid the penalty for our sin, that we might be made right with God. But not only that, but the Bible tells us that through His resurrection, we also by faith know that we have been raised with Him. And the life we live now is not the, our own lives, but Christ living through us. Our life is changed from the foundation of who we are and what we know, not just by having the right knowledge, but by knowing the right Savior who completely changes us. <clears throat> then the thatch that lasts 50 years and all these kind of good things, you know, phases of life change all that, don't they? The foundations don't change. Restoration is about knowing that your foundation is secure in Christ because of what He has done and His perfect work. Look at me, look with me, please, at 1 Peter chapter 1. As Peter starts this book, he's talking to the people. And he gives them a greeting. It's a beautiful greeting. We'll look back on it a little bit later. But let's start reading at verse 3. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How, how did that happen? It tells us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfailing, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Praise the Lord for his word. How is it that our foundation is changed? How is it that we are transformed by God? The answer is, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, our, our symbol for Christianity, it's, it's fascinating that the symbol we have is a torture device in reality. The cross is a torture device. And Christ died and was tortured, yes. 
More than that, he paid the penalty of God's wrath on all our disobedience, all of our sin. He really died for us, which was the penalty of sin. But it's in his resurrection now, in his life for us. The, the fact, the reason that we have a living hope is because he is alive. He is our hope. He is where we set our eyes. He is our salvation. He is our life. Because he rose and because he defeated sin and death, if we believe in him, notice Peter says twice the vehicle here. And the vehicle is, our, by God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation. The vehicle here is believing in Jesus Christ. It's almost too good to be true, isn't it? All you have to do is believe in him, trust in him, and have faith in him that he rose from the dead and that he will save you. Sometimes we feel like there's something else. We, surely we've got to do something else. And out of a heart of gratitude, we do obey him. Out of a heart of gratitude, we love him and serve him and do all that he's commanded. But the reality is, as we come to him in the foundation of knowing who he is, we trust in his resurrection that as he lives, we will live. And life springs out of us by knowing Jesus himself. It seems like time after time we try to add to this with things that we can do. Or, man, if I was just a better neighbor, if I just tithed more, if I just helped the poor more, if I could just figure out a way to make all these right things happen, if I, if I knew that I'd saved enough in my 401k, if I had a legacy for my children's children, if I had, you know, if I amass enough that they're going to be taken care of, then I'll know, you know, God's going to receive me. But the reality is this. It's because of Christ's death and his resurrection that God receives us. If we build our life on anything other than him, then you have put your foundation somewhere you wanted instead of where the Bible says. And if we have moved that foundation, our life will build askew because it's not what God called us to. And you'll find Christians that are so focused on the thatch because their foundation is still shattered. So focused on the thatch because they want to look right before God. They just can't do it. We have to come to him that he builds the foundation in us. The Bible says that we're transformed into new creations in Christ because of what he's done. The old is gone, the new has come. And now we stand in him as those who've been redeemed. If you stand before him, and you can't say that your feet are firmly planted on Christ Jesus alone. If it has to be Christ and money. If, ha if it has to be Christ and reputation. If it has to be Christ and the good things you did. If it has to be Christ and your family lineage. Or whatever, anything else. Then you're not standing on the foundation that God's called us to. The truth is, Jesus Christ in his resurrection, he's the only way, the only truth and the only life. We can't add to it. He is our living hope because he is alive. Our faith is directed toward him because he's, he is our everything. When I was, uh, have, you ever, have you ever played in a creek as a kid and you walked across a branch that had fallen down? It's kind of scary, right? Maybe it's not, maybe you were just super excited about it and you ran across. Have you ever been on one that you felt like was going to break? And you start walking and it's, it's a little weird? When I was in the military, I had to do these uh, special team building exercises and things. And they were all designed to get you ready for kind of the unexpected and how things would happen. 
And unexpected things happen all the time. Uh, so you have to you know, get into weird places or figure out how to do things. And so you've got to work together as a team to solve these problems that you didn't think would come up. And so on this little course that we were doing, there were these obstacles that we had to climb or figure out or do. And we had very little tools to do it. And so they wanted to see how does the team come together and what happens. So on one of these obstacles, we had a gap that we had to pass. And so let's say it's from me to the, to the chairs, and it's far away. And so they gave us a plank of wood and a piece of rope and four people. And they're like, go. And the piece of wood you know, got like halfway. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's like, how, this isn't going to work. How do we do this? So you've got to figure things out. And so at one point, one of the guys told me, hey, I need you to go stand out on the end of the plank as far as you can get. Now, we don't have a hammer and nails. There's no screws. There's no, we have a piece of rope. But there's nothing to tie the rope to, because we're on a platform. So I'm standing here, and they pushed it out as far as they could get. And they said, OK, go out there. And I looked around, I was like, this is not going to work. Like, I'm me. I'm not going to, this is not going to go well. And I'm like, just trust us. Just go for it. All right, so I start walking, and I'm climbing out onto the thing, and I'm getting further and further. And as I'm going, they're adding more guys onto the backside to hold the weight. So finally, I'm at the very end. And they're like, all right, jump. I said, guys, if I, if we're going to lose the whole board, we're all going to go down. And at this point, they're all balancing together on the very end to try to distribute the weight, holding each other like this so they can stay on there. I said, jump. I said, I, I don't know if this is going to work. They said, you can do it. I said, all right. So I jumped, and I made it to the other side. Like, wow, that was a, we did it. And then they sent another guy. He got there. And they sent the third guy. He got there. And then the last guy was like, don't leave me behind. <laughs> and we had to redo the whole thing because we did it wrong. It didn't work. I tell you that story because of this. We have a living hope in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we go through suffering. We go through things. We feel like we're at the edge of our rope. We're at the edge of the plank. We're standing there. And we feel like God's calling us to jump to the other side. I don't think I can make it. I don't know. We start to look back and we wonder, who's standing on this thing? How do I know if this is even secure? We have two options. The first option is we look back, we don't see anything, we don't trust. Second option is you look back and you see Jesus himself. He is our foundation. He is what we build upon. He is the one who secures us. He is the one who holds us. If you don't trust Jesus with your whole life, like you're standing above an abyss. And if he moves one step, you could fall into it. If you don't trust Jesus that he is going to stay totally faithful to all his promises, that he is holding you and completely secure, if you don't trust him knowing that your foundation is in him, even if you look down and it looks like it's going to be all the way to the ground, then check your foundation. And the way we do that is to say, Lord, restore me. Restore me. Take my life. Let me see you. I trust you more than I trust me. I give you everything. Forgive me for trying to do it myself. I want to walk your way. One time I went to Colorado. If I can ask the musicians to come up, we're going to close. I went to Colorado and we uh, were over this gorge and they had a little bridge. And we were way out on this trail and the bridge had slats in it. And so it was really high up. 
It was really high up. And I remember my dad and everybody, they're like, hey, we're safe. Just go across the bridge. It's going to be fine. And I got to the bridge, and I started walking on the slats. And then I looked down, and they had gaps in between that were significant. And it, and it was so far down, I remember I just I grabbed on the edge. And I was looking at it. I, it's way down there. And like, it's OK, just keep going. And I remember clutching to the side the whole time as I'm just trying to walk across this bridge plank by plank. Sometimes life feels like that, doesn't it? How do you know if you're halfway across a bridge the planks aren't going to give out? You just trust the bridge, right? As we walk through life, we have to trust Christ that he's our restoration. He's the one who's changed us. He's the one who secures us. He's holding us. And we need to cling to him and not to the thatch, not to the stuff people see, but to the foundation of Christ that he's holding us secure. As we walk through life this week, know that God is building you up, living stones upon him, the cornerstone, but he has secured you to himself. He's not going to let you tumble. You're not going to fall through the slats. You're not going to fall into the precipice because he is holding you. Trust him with your salvation, with your life, with your everything, because he is worthy. Will you stand with me? Let's pray, and then we're going to praise the Lord one last time. Father, thank you that you're with us. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are the great restorer. You are restoring us to have a foundation in you that's beyond anything that we could hope or dream of because, Lord, you are our life. Help us, Father, to know you more this week, to serve you and to see you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.